<laughs> what are you going to do? Fire me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Premier League is a beautiful place and I'm no longer afraid to die. That's uh, <laughs> the vibe of this week. <laughs> oh, Welcome to Hardcore Football. Uh, I'm Phil Bakke. I'm joined as always by my co-host Mika Burrell. Mika, it's th- uh, what day is it? Thursday night? It better be because I've been thinking all day. Yay, tomorrow's Friday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's Thursday night and um, we convene for the second time in a week. We don't often do this, but uh, this week just seemed like it warranted it. Yeah. I Is there is there a such thing as too much of a good thing? Because obviously, like, football is a big, big part of my life. <laughs> But, like, can a bitch just go to her day job and not have to check FOTMOB, like, obsessively? <laughs> like, there's something going on all the time, like, every day. I, I'm feeling a little bit, like, I think, I think this is therapeutic, quite honestly, because I, today I hit that level of fatigue where I got a goal notification for FOTMOB from the Spurs-Chelsea game and was like, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I think that's the thing like right like because at the beginning of the pandemic it was like ripped from us and we were like whoa 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 like yeah and now it's being like force fed yeah like, <laughs> all day every day like ass sewn shut like <laughs> just <laughs> like so I don't mean to be ungrateful I would much rather have too much than not at all but it is a lot yeah, I, I saw a tweet and I actually I, I apologize because I, I don't remember who I saw this from. Um, but there was basically a tweet uh, saying that, you know, the the pace at which games are happening now, there is no there's no break. There's no ability to just kind of like live in the emotion of the previous game. Because yeah. you're just immediately experiencing something new with the next game. And that's even if you're just supporting one team, games are, are coming at such a rate that you're, you're just like overwhelmed by the ups and downs of it. Because inevitably, these teams are all up and down as we're seeing, and which is why we're talking today. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I mean, there's not enough time for like, storylines really like yeah. <laughs> it just, we just keep going it's crazy like we go in a week well january 31st liverpool are back february 2nd liverpool are in the mud <laughs> that's three days there, we? we can't i can't live like this um but yeah we've we've got a a full a full uh a uh, slate of Premier League to discuss and kind of I think we want to like have this space to be able to experience the emotion of this last yeah, this, match. This is a safe space. Exactly. Yes. So hopefully for those of you listening out there um and for those of you who have found us for the first time um you can enjoy this space to just live in the moment of this one match before inevitably in 3 days we experience something completely different um 
And uh, if you are finding us for the first time, uh, hopefully uh, you, I guess you probably found us either through Twitter um, or through a search engine of some type. So if you could uh, follow and subscribe, whatever the the platform allows for the podcast, um, please uh, do so. And uh, it really helps us out, obviously. Um, And you can follow us on Twitter at HXC football for more uh, content of all sorts. So Mika, the premier league was nuts this week, but the week started out with a story that seems even crazier, which is Andre Villas Bush, who will be familiar to fans of the premier league, obviously former Tottenham and Chelsea boss, um, who is currently plying his trade at Olympique Marseille in Liga Un went was absolutely nuts this week and finds himself now out of work, uh, by his own design. Yeah. Andre Bosch is out at Marseille after, I mean, a season and a half, really. Um, the, the, of course the truncated 1920 league one season. And then of course this season, he's now gone as of, well, I don't know. Like I told you before we started recording, it feels like he's been quitting for like two weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he finally made it crystal clear to to Marseille, Marseille supporters and to the world that he's done at, uh, at the Southern French Club. So, I mean, on the surface, it seemed like Villas-Boas was furious with the signing of Olivier Incham um, on loan from Celtic. After Marseille had just signed or had just sold uh, Sanson to Aston Villa. So I think a lot's being made of that because it's it's the more interesting like headline, the juicy story like, oh, wow, he he didn't want this player so much that he quit over it. But really, I think that's just the straw that broke the camel's back. I think if you read between the lines and what he's saying, um, you know, he spoke about, you know, a lot of promises have been broken to me on behalf of. Pablo Longoria, the sporting director at Marseille and and the club in general, as far as the direction of the club. And actually, Marseille have only spent like just under uh, 50 million pounds in transfer fees in in, uh, total since he joined, which is nothing, (laughs) especially for a club of their size and a club that actually he got back into the Champions League last season after not being, you know, in Europe's uh, highest competition since uh, the 13-14 season. So, I mean, he was doing quite well given the limitations that were placed on him, um, whether fairly or unfairly. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that he like despises in champ. No. <laughs> you know, he's certainly a, he's certainly a different player from Morgan Sanson, and I could see some frustration with that. Um, but yeah, I think that it's more a, a symptom of what was going on there rather than the actual disease, if you will. Right. Well, it's interesting, the Sanson signing, or the Sanson sale, I should say, mm-hmm. um, feels like a watershed moment in this because Sanson was such a key part of AVB's like uh, revolution at Marseille. Because obviously when he took the team over, they had the likes of Luis Gustavo, they had uh, Lucas Ocampo, uh, Ocampos, uh, Adil Rami, even Mario Balotelli was there. Like they had this kind of crazy yeah. group, but a lot of big names, a lot of, uh, a lot of talented players. 
um, s- still finished, you know, they finished fifth that season, whatever it was, he came in and he finished second, bringing in like new blood, getting a song out of Dimitri Pye, which is not the easiest, right. easiest thing. Um, and Sanson with Valentin Ranger was like his, his midfield. That was like his, his guys in there. And I think Sanson's departure really took what was already kind of a tenuous situation with the, between him and the board or well him and, and the technical director, whatever you want to, you want to call it and really, yeah, shifted it. And then when they brought in in Cham, he saw his opportunity to, to, to separate himself. So it's crazy because Marseille looked so strong at the beginning of the season. And it's, and it's been wild uh, to watch them go from those, those heights to now, like there's this complete disarray. Um, And, and AVB uh, out at another club. The question is now where does Marseille look for, a full-time replacement and where does AVB end up? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting one. I, I, I have no idea as far as where he ends up. I think, I think the kind of making his focus about Incham and making that the narrative, I think that it might actually turn some clubs off to hiring him. I mean, he already is, quite eccentric, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, with this latest, what some might characterize as like an outburst or like a meltdown, if you will, or, you know, a lack of professionalism, depending on how you look at it. I don't know that a big club will want to take a punt on him, given how fragile everything is right now in a, in a COVID world. Yeah. Um, so, that that remains to be seen. I mean, he's still obviously a very talented coach. He's still quite young. Um, getting a team like Marseille back into the Champions League with w- how little they spent, yeah, and and you know all of that is obviously something to to applaud. And people, you know, clubs with ambition will be looking at that. But I don't know that they. Some clubs might not see it as worth it. But as for actually replacing him, I mean, the Guardian was reporting. Sari, Rafa Benitez, Valverde had been contacted, which, I mean, those all kind of make sense. These are all guys that are, you know, recently out of work or, or well, in, in Rafa's case, I mean, just come back from China. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, Marseille is such a unique club with very demanding fans, Um and obviously the fans are super pissed off. I mean, we just talked about the, the fall of the training ground last yeah. <laughs> a few nights ago. So that's such a hard sell, I think, for the club. Um, yeah. Yeah. It'll be it'll be crazy to see what happens there. Yeah. I I think, yeah, the manner in which this has gone down, AVB is going to going to face a tough a tough job search uh, in terms of finding a, a place at a team of the kind of level mm-hmm. of, of a Marseille because of the potential for the same sort of uh, adversarial relationship that, that right. develops. So yeah, it's uh it's going to be extremely interesting to see what he actually uh, 
what type of jobs he pursues. I mean, he's, he's been, you know, post Chelsea and Spurs, he was in, uh, Russia for a, for a time with Zenit. So he certainly, you know, has operated like in lower prestige leagues before. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he returned to Portugal for a time. Mm. Um, I know there's no, you know, I don't know if there's any great, uh, like opening or, or turmoil at any of the big clubs in Portugal, but, um, that could be, that could be a fit. Um, or, right, uh, just in terms of kind of like having a reset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Having that, that time to, to go reconnect with your footballing roots in, you know, and just like, maybe get away from a little bit of the boardroom drama um, as some of these big clubs. Right. As for, as for his replacement. Yeah. Marseille. I, I think Marseille are a total wild card themselves at this point um, in terms of who they might pursue. Yeah, it, it'll be, it'll be fast. I think if there's any one of the three that I, that the guardian kind of have mentioned, I think the only person who has the stones for that job is probably Rafa. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, I mean, once you've coached a Mike Ashley side, you can fucking do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but he's been- at the same time, I don't know that he actually wants to deal with that kind of BS ever again. So. Yeah. Rafa's owner track history is kind of incredible where he uh, was under Hicks and Gillette a, a famously like uh, reviled duo yeah. of owners at Liverpool. Um, he took an interim tag and won the Europa league under Roman Abramovich at Chelsea. Uh, Mike Ashley at Newcastle surviving a relegation and then winning promotion back to the premier league. Uh, De Laurentiis at Napoli. Um, this man is like on the horrible owner bingo card. Like he is Florentino Perez, who not a horrible owner, but extremely demanding. Yeah. Yeah. At, at Madrid real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's worked under them all. So that certainly won't, I don't know if he'll shy away from, from the poor owner. Yeah. He could fight Frank McCourt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rafa says square up. Um, yeah. <laughs> <Come outside>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh man. Well, yep. AVB out at Marseille and we'll, we'll watch his replacement with interest. Um, but we've got loads of premier league to talk about. And I think maybe we should take a quick break and then, uh, come back and just dive into what was a wacky week in, in the premier league. Sounds good. Welcome back, everyone. Mika, uh, there's really no point in beating around the bush. We should just rip the Band-Aid off. Premier League action began this week uh, on Tuesday. Wolves 2, 
Arsenal won at the Molineux. Um, Nicola, Nicola Pepe uh, opened the scoring in the 32nd minute. A penalty for Wolves brought it level just before halftime, along with the sending off for David Luiz under quite controversial circumstances. Joao, Joao Matinho uh, scoring the winner in the 49th minute and then Burn Leno earning himself a red card later in the game and uh, and Arsenal finishing with, with just nine. Um, this match was is known now for the clip of David Luiz and the foul that earned him the red. Um, I just want to get the Arsenal fan perspective because <laughs> as a neutral, I look at it and I, I just don't, I just don't see the, I don't see a red. I don't see a contact really even in, in this uh, yeah. earned penalty for, for that Ruben Neves uh, eventually scores. Yeah, I, I think the red card is extremely harsh. I <laughs> I guess by the letter of the law, because there there is no attempt to play the ball, I guess the player must be sent off and a penalty awarded. But still, what are like let's think about why we give red cards. Violent conduct. Mm-hmm. Denying a obvious goal scoring opportunity. Like yep. You know, let the punishment fit the crime. Right. I mean, I don't know what David Luiz is meant to do there other than not be there, like physically, like not be in that area of the pitch, which is ridiculous. He's a defender. Um, and William Jose, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't even think that William Jose is like necessarily looking for it, even. It's just like he is running and his the bottom of his boot just like scrapes Dave Luiz's knee. If it does, I don't know. Right. I mean, the, the, the footage is so like, you could really make an argument either way, but that's not what we, I don't think that's what red cards are for. Right. I mean, that right. it can't be, it right. can't be. And Dave Luiz doesn't need help getting red cards. Like let, we all know <laughs> that, right? Like he does not need assistance with being sent off. Please let him do it himself. Um, so that to me is even more like, I see people say like, Oh, he knows what he's doing there. He's an experienced defender. It's like, no, like he's not, he's not that delicate in right. the fouls that he makes. So yeah. I just don't even buy that at all. This isn't yeah, Sergio this, Ramos. Like, right, right, yeah. right. I the the thing I immediately thought about was Arsenal Liverpool last season, um, where David Luiz gave away a penalty for a, a pull on Salah's shirt, mm-hmm. and it was given like straight away by the referee because everybody saw that you know it the the kit made a triangle and all that stuff, yeah. um, and. Okay, he was pulled back. Penalty given. It would have been a clear goal scoring opportunity for Mo Salah, but it's one of those moments where it's like, hey, we're not doing the whole double jeopardy, triple jeopardy, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So penalty awarded, yellow card for David Luiz. Everyone was fine. Why in this situation is a red card like automatically, oh my God, like we have to send him off because there was contact or whatever. It's right. like, 
No, we've known for years that, you know, for the at least the last uh, couple of years, that the whole, like, triple jeopardy, we weren't doing this anymore. We weren't necessarily what I thought. sending someone <laughs> off just for that, especially when we were awarding a penalty. It's like, okay, they still get the chance to score, um, and yellow card is sufficient. So even if there is sufficient contact to award the foul in the first place, which is questionable. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, yellow card is clearly sufficient. And then, uh, and the, you know, penalty taken, whatever it's one, one and Arsenal still have 11 men quite different game. Um, at that point, especially right before halftime. For sure. And we, I mean, we were dominating that first half. Let's just, let's just put that out there. We were excellent. And so, yeah, this this decision really changed the, the game. Um, you hear that a lot, but for, it really did. And yeah, I mean, you make you make the point that there really is kind of two questions here: is is it a foul? First of all, which right. I actually, for my argument, I kind of assume fine that let's just say that there's contact. But even so, like the red card for me is just way over the top. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be okay with okay, you you've denied a goal scoring opportunity; they should get a penalty. But to be sent off for that is just insane. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> in my kind of arsenal. Uh, fan chats and between us we're all just fucking furious (laughs) so um yeah the question you know what hopefully though we can harness this kind of sense of injustice to kind of push us on but yeah the question out of this one um by carlos amaya a member of of the ep gooners uh and shut up his question it was a statement it was a philosophical experience. <laughs> uh, simply the statement with no question mark, video assistant referee. <laughs> Carlos, you all right, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> you okay? <laughs> He's a good dude. I saw, we watched the game together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, I... When VAR was being implemented i think i was i think my opinion of it was colored by what i saw in the bundesliga where it just seemed to be like much more thought out and like executed much better i don't know if that's i don't know i guess that that colored my opinion and i thought okay this this might be good for the game we could take cheating out we can take controversy out lmao um (laughs) but yeah it's clearly Either these referees are are being told to do this insane shit week in week out, or it's just not working. But I mean, I don't blame the technology. It is what it is. But right. I mean, it, it is getting us into like metaphysical discussions of like, how do you know when the ball is hit for like offside? Like, yeah. what frame determines that? Because you'll see like, like Shea Adams' goal being chalked offside. <laughs> Yeah. Against United was like, what, how, where? Right. Is this really what we consider goal hanging? Because, uh, yeah. So, VR is trash. I'm mad at it right now. It was, it was really interesting um, to see some of the, the screenshots. Um, I think the Shea Adams goal was one example. A um, couple of different offside decisions. Uh, similar, similarly, where the ball is um, oblong. 
because yeah. it, because it hasn't been captured in the specific frame um, right. that they're using. So it's like, okay, has it left the foot? Has it not left the foot? Like, is yeah, this or the like correct it'll frame? look like there's like three balls because it's right. moving, and it's right. like this is. So insane. Yeah, there's a a lot of question marks. It's been really interesting actually over the last couple of weeks to see VAR interventions in the Premier League are way down in the last couple of weeks. Um huh. and I have to, I I don't have the specific number pulled up in front of me, but the base but basically like the beginning of the season they were above average for the European leagues in terms of the amount of VAR interventions and the last like two weeks, they're way below average. So this constant like changing of the guidelines, changing of the threshold for the intervention of VAR um, is just bad for the game overall because it, it adds to this level of confusion that everyone feels every single time that there's a decision made It's like, okay, is this being made because it's the referee's decision? Is this being made because the VAR has instructed him to, like, make a change? Um, Has the VAR actually looked at this incident, like, in any sort of detail? Or has he taken the referee's word for it? It's just a constant, like, changing of of where the actual line is in terms of VAR intervention. And I think it just leads to these moments of complete frustration from fans. For sure, yeah. I don't know. I'm getting close to being like, scrap it. I don't know if I'm there yet, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mo Salah has already said scrap it. So, um, (laughs) yeah. I... uh, the one thing I do want to say out of this game is that Joao Matinho's goal is a rocket. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good goal. And I mean, in that situation, you'd hope that, that your defenders are putting a bit more pressure on the ball in that area. Cause I mean, he, he has no other real chance really other than to, to blast it from there and to, you know, on the day it goes in. Yeah. Um, but you know, even with those goals, and I really don't want to slate over them to Wanderers, but, I mean, a penalty and a worldie, I mean, that's what they scored on us. I mean, we were playing extremely well yeah. before the card, and I, I don't know that I don't know that they win regardless. I thought we, we were well on our way to to the three points, but we'll never know now. <laughs> Well, it is interesting. And then Bern Leno decides to like eat himself yeah. out of the game. So. It is interesting because uh, the stat out of this one is that Wolves completed their first league double over Arsenal since 1978-79. Um, and their first win in nine Premier League games. They had drawn three and lost five of the, of the previous eight. So... Um, in the end, an important victory for Wolves, um, but yeah. the uh, circumstances obviously uh, kind of take away from from that fact that Wolves do get a win, uh, a win that has been elusive recently for them. Yeah, and you you know you bring up how kind of poor they've been in the league recently, and I actually almost kind of feel bad for them because the narrative is not about them at all, right? <laughs> because of the referees, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, the uh so Wolves grab grab that win at home over Arsenal um 
under some some controversy. Uh, Liverpool, on the other hand, at home against Brighton, and uh, we had talked last week, kind of bigged up Brighton, some of the moves they were making. Uh, mm. Moises Caicedo does not see the game, uh, does not see see the pitch in this game, um, but uh, Brighton find a way to get a one nil win over Liverpool and Liverpool have lost now consecutive home league games. Um, and indeed have failed to score in three consecutive home league games for the first time since 1984. Oh my God. Everyone's just breaking all the worst records right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, two big scalps claimed, for Brighton, Hove Albion uh, against Spurs, and then of course with Liverpool here, credit to them. I, I I like to see the fact that they are being rewarded because you know XG and all that tells you they should be much better, right? You know, in terms of where they are in the table, um, you know. So it's nice to see that that Grand Potter's being and his boys are being rewarded for how well they do play. Um, I. <laughs> It's hard for me to say like, oh, Liverpool were awful or anything. Like they look tired. Like these are human beings, you know. <laughs> and I think when you have played at such a high level for so many years now, it's been like three years of dominance. I mean, mentally and physically, that has to tire you, you know. And on top of the injuries um, that Liverpool have, so right. I I, I just don't know. It's. I don't think this reflects on Liverpool as like, oh, Klopp's finished or anything like that. Like <laughs> that, that be that's a bit much. But I mean, it's not a great result. Obviously, the the lack of goal scoring is is concerning. Yeah. Um, it's very stop start at the moment. Um, it, it almost feels like if Mo Salah is not putting him in, then who is? Right. Um, but I mean, now it's your turn to rant, though. Like, d- diagnose this. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. So I had a nice long think about this and obviously the, the big kind of absences in this game in particular, um, Allison, not in goal, mm-hmm. Virgil van Dyke, Joe Gomez, uh, Joel Mati all out for the season. Um, so, you know, Nat Phillips and Jordan Henderson, central defender mid, uh, pairing, um, mm-hmm. Not not the strongest, um, but despite the fact and Sadio Mane missing up front, uh, so you know it was Firmino, Salah, and and Shakiri from the start, um, it, and Shakiri definitely being a left footed player, not uh, not a Sadio Mane replacement uh, on that on that side. But the interesting thing about the availability of players and, and this, this feeling week in and week out that, uh, you know, I would say two out of three Liverpool performances are good. Mm. And that third is just like you said, tired out of ideas, just, just not at the same level. And I think the, issue and I'm not exactly sure why this is but I think the issue is actually more so in midfield than anywhere else and the involvement and availability of Curtis Jones I think has been directly correlated with like some of the best 
football that Liverpool have played recently. Um, but another player who's been unavailable for quite some time now is Nabi Keita. And his unavailability or inavailability, whichever, um, I think is directly linked to the lack of this like penetrating and, and forward thinking sort of play. Tiago is an unbelievable passer of the ball, obviously, but he play he plays from a, from deeper positions. Like he's not, he's not playing, he's not carrying the ball forward. He's not like breaking lines with a dribble, um, like he'll find some unbelievable passes, obviously same kind of deal with Wijnaldum where he'll, he, he will maintain possession against all odds. He will turn and he can actually break forward a little bit. Um, but Milner being in there, the balance of the midfield is not really there. So if it's Curtis Jones or Nabi Keita, they can carry the ball forward and they can advance the ball to a point where when they lay the ball off to the fullback, it's they're not making some like hit and hope cross from deep. They're crossing from closer to the byline, you know, much more dangerous areas Um, or they can link up with the front three. But the way that we play when we don't have that, presence in midfield someone who's willing to carry the ball forward someone who's willing to to make you know to take a risk um we look like this where it's very side to side not a lot of chance creation a lot of crosses and so the introduction of curtis jones and alex oxley chamberlain like late in this game was kind of too little too late um from Mm -hmm. klopp and I just have to ask that I know that Klopp sees Curtis Jones the same way that we see him week in and week out. And I'm sure in training he sees him. So the question is like, what's going on to affect his availability to where he's only appearing in the final, you know, 30 in this case, like 20 minutes of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's had such an impact. And even in this one, like Liverpool did create, like a, a few good chances towards the end of the match um, and just un, unable to break through Ro- uh, Robert Sanchez kind of wrote his luck. I think a little bit um, kind of wild mm. goalkeeping at times, but anyways, my rant is that without that creative kind of dynamic presence in midfield, this Liverpool team can look very pedest- pedestrian. And I think that's why was it two seasons ago now you were in for Nabil Fekir? I think that was the idea is he was supposed to be that guy that can carry the ball and either lay it off or or get fouled right outside the area. um, Take shots from around that, the D, you know? So yeah, I I mean the, the, (laughs) you take Jordan Henderson out of the midfield. That's already a huge issue because he provides that stability and, direction for the other midfield players um both in the way that he plays and in him just constantly shouting at everyone yeah (laughs) um so you take that away so then it almost makes me feel like Vinaldum and and the like are kind of like playing in inside themselves if that makes sense um and and then yeah with Fabinho there's this narrative coming out now like you know the lazy Twitter accounts that have like players as their default pictures saying like 
you know, he's not scored a goal. Like, he hasn't even assisted. It's like that. Do you know what kind of player Thiago Alcantara is? Like, he is a, <laughs> he's a metronome, you yeah. know? Um, he does bring something different to the Liverpool midfield. That much we cannot ignore. But carrying the ball, breaking the lines, things that you would expect Nabi Keita to do. And I just, I don't know why that transfer has not worked out. Um, but yeah, it's odd. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder too, like with Curtis Jones, cause I kind of see him the way that I think Arsenal fans probably see Mill Smith Rowe, like that kind of young buck who wants to come in and, and try things and isn't afraid to do that. And, sure. and, and a lot of times it comes off because the uh, opponents don't know this player and what mm-hmm. to expect. But I wonder if the, restriction in minutes is different because Liverpool is at a different stage in their kind of journey where Klopp thinks that's that's not really appropriate. I've got first team players who have won things that that should play. Whereas with Arteta, it's like, literally, I don't have anything else. So you're going to play. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So and and we're very much like fully getting into the rebuild now. A lot of people have left in January. So I wonder if it has something to do with that. Obviously, who knows? That's kind of me just thinking out loud. But um, yeah. yeah, every time I've watched Curtis Jones play, he he brings something that no one else really does. And sometimes you need that that kind of childish adventure, if you will. Yeah. Um, that that players like him bring a scruffy goal uh, for Brighton. Does you know wins this one? Uh, Elzate credited with it. Um, the the goal itself felt a little bit like karma for some of Brighton's better performances. They had a good performance in this one, deserved in the end. Uh, you know, it's a deserved win for Brighton in the way that they the way they countered what Liverpool were doing, and and indeed like the way they got forward as well. Um, but it felt karmic in that they got the result, despite the fact that the goal was not the, the greatest goal ever scored. Um, and maybe some made up points for, for Brighton, um, based on what they should, should be at the level they should be at, uh, this season. Yeah, for sure. It's, I think it was, Alzate's only shot on target and, it, you know, just happens <laughs> to go in. I mean, sometimes you get the rub of the green and I think, I think Brighton are, making their own luck at the moment. So it's hard to fault them. The, the question, uh, first from Claudia, uh, on, on Twitter, do you agree with Andrew Robertson, uh, regarding his comments about not being in the title race for Liverpool? Yeah, we spoke about it a bit before. Um, I think, Mathematically, it's probably extremely unlikely that Liverpool can get back into it. Um, you know, it's a seven-point gap right now, and City've got a game in hand and are f- absolutely flying right now. Um, but it is by far the weirdest, most unpredictable season ever. Uh, yeah. So it's it's tough. I I do agree uh, with the actual substance of the statement, but the intent behind that statement, I don't think it's actually to give up. I think it's maybe a little bit of mind games from mm-hmm. Andrew Robertson, you know, that fixture is coming up. Um, and I think they want to maybe take the pressure off and kind of can't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's mainly to 
make city feel like, Hey, this is our title to lose. Mm-hmm. And the pressure's on us to beat Liverpool to, to put it away. Um, the, like you said, the season is so insane where one week we're talking about something completely different. And then a run of two results we've got, you know, it was like West, you know, the West Ham game, Liverpool are back title race is on like everything's good. And then three days later lost to Brighton. All right. It's all over. Pack it in like no, no point in even worrying about it. Um, so it's just the nature of the season. It's going to be up and down. Um, and I don't think Liverpool uh, are completely out of it because we've seen from earlier this season, city went on a, their a, a poor run of their own. Um, and every team is capable of it this season. Um, uh, and it's quite unpredictable in the way it comes about. Right. Um, but I do have to, we gotta, we have to give a shout to our resident Brighton fan, Jay Kanecki, <laughs> who asked, uh, is the premier league ready for Brighton to be inducted into the big seven? Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Everton fans would like a word. They are (laughs) the eternal seventh in the big six. (laughs) I I think Brighton have to show a little more. (laughs) Yeah. My, my warning to Jake would be that I would think Aston Villa fans would have seen them as the seventh, uh, in like 2008. Mm. And, uh, it didn't go well from there. <laughs> so I just, the, the short run of form, I will say though, I, I just have to like, I really hate that Liverpool lost to Brighton specifically because I have such a hard time disliking this Brighton side. I really like a lot of what they have to offer. Yeah. Um, and with these moves, as we said, we, 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 speak quite highly of what Graham Potter is building. Um, so the next question actually came from the squeaky bum time pod and asked which club could use Graham Potter the most right now. Hmm. I, I hate to say this, but I think Graham Potter at Tottenham Hotspur would be sensational. <laughs> Wow. I absolutely hate myself for saying <laughs> that. But and and you know, the squeaky bum time said what teams could use him the most. And I think the most right now is Spurs. Um the talent that they have to work with, uh, you know, of course human son and Harry Kane. I mean, the it's just being wasted playing Mourinho ball, and I think yeah. Grand Potter would put something together that's insane. Um yeah. and he is I think more than capable of a big job like that. Um, and I, I shudder to think what he could do with a little bit of money. <laughs> I mean, Brighton yeah. are investing quite well. So, you know, True. it's not like they're, True. you know, barren down on the South coast or anything. <laughs> they're, they're supporting him, um, right. you know, reasonably well, but uh, yeah, I think maybe, maybe Spurs, which I hate. <laughs> the thing <laughs> is, you, is that would, uh, like it's an anti-Levy Levy signing 
like mm. in terms of a manager, because I feel like he's hit a point of he wants a prestige guy. In for there. sure. Yeah, for sure. But if he's smart, that would be the perfect way to because obviously this year has been quite disappointing. I'm quite uh, I'm well, we'll get to Tottenham in a little bit. I think I think third season Mourinho has fully engaged. Um <laughs> So they could be yeah. looking is all I'm saying. And yeah. if they're smart, they may, they may look to, to Potter as a, as a solution. Mm-hmm. Interesting shout from the Arsenal fan. Uh, but no, that is, I, I love that. I, I love the idea of it as much as I hate the idea of it. Right. Um, I love him getting a shot at a big club. Um, but that uh yeah wow that's an interesting one although i do think when i think about the the teams the couple that tossed around my mind for potter would is i think he could i think he could genuinely make crystal palace like a really good team he not just like a solid derby divide oh, oh my I, god i'm not saying he would can you imagine how <laughs> fucking furious Brighton fans oh would be? <laughs> but when I think about just objectively, mm. I think Roy Hodgson is a stabilizing force for Palace, but he's been unable to improve that team despite the fact that they have really good players. Mm. And I think Grant Potter could turn them into something quite special. But the same could be said for Brighton. Like Crystal yeah. Palace are just a couple of years ahead of them in terms of like stabilizing in the in the Premier League. Right. But and the other team that, have a pull that is built in by being in London. So Right, right. Yeah. And the team the other team that comes to mind, and maybe this is an anti Moyes bias that I have, but I think <laughs> West Ham could be interesting as well. Um, but mm. those owners will always make that job uh total clown show so for sure so yeah, yeah. so basically potter to, to london yeah on yeah platform nine three quarters <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry oh <laughs> um well we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the literally the biggest result of the weekend in terms of goals scored manchester united nine southampton nil it is the second time that Ralph, Ralph Haas and Hoodle Saints have lost by this nine-goal margin this year. Um, well, in the last two seasons, I guess, but technically. But a 9 nil like against Leicester. months. Yeah. Right. A 9 nil against Leicester, and now a 9 nil loss to Manchester United. Um I guess it begs the question with saints at the level that they have been recently, they've, they've dropped over the last four games. They've lost four in a row now. Um, Mm -hmm. A tough stretch, not dissimilar to the tough, to the tough stretch that led to that initial nine nil um, against Lester Ralph Hassenhudel under pressure at saints again? Uh, I don't know. I I don't 
think so, and I I hope not because I think all in all he's only improved as a coach and and improved the side. But I mean, I don't I don't think it's I don't think this result against United is is not is that similar actually to Leicester, um, because there were so many things that went against Southampton from the start. I mean, first of all, let's yeah. let's talk about this injury list, right? Uh, Diallo, Vestergaard, Walker, Peters, Obafemi, Salisu, Teya, Romeo, Walcott, Smallbone. I mean, there are people starting for Southampton I've never heard about or heard of in my life. They had two <laughs> keepers on the bench to make up the numbers. So that that to me, I mean, yeah, it does matter, you know, to to have that many starters out. That's insane. So, I mean, you look at <laughs> if you even look at it on FOTMOB, like a lot of these players on the bench don't have pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, there's only so one. Sucked. There's only one player on the bench for Southampton in this match that has a squad number below forty. Right, which is Nathan Redmond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The so, only one. Yeah, so it's been very, very tough for them in, in terms of injuries. Um, and then there's no legislating for, for Alex Yankovic's yeeting into <laughs> yeah. Scott McTominay's thigh. It's an absolutely horrific challenge. Um, the red card is, for once, from Mike Dean, spot on. Um, <laughs> and... I'm glad that Scott's not seriously injured. He was able to play on. He actually did score. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I hope I don't sound like insensitive saying this, but I did feel bad for Yankovic. He looked genuinely like sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be sent, I mean, to be sent off on your debut, 19 years old, you know, the, the, the manager's, you know, circumstances. And also he is putting some trust in you to play, you know, away at old Trafford Yeah, to be sent off in 72 seconds on your debut as a teenager. That's, that's always tough. And I, I don't know that he set out to injure Scott McTominay. I think he was just like extremely hype <laughs> to right. be playing and just launched himself into him. And it was a red card worthy offense. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we should be seeing red cards for. So, I mean, they <laughs> played the game, you know? Yeah down a man the entire game ostensibly right uh and then it just went downhill from there and i mean (laughs) i think it's no i think it's no surprise that marcus rashford started on the left and played very well (laughs) right Uh, i i spoke last time uh you know on monday about how he was on the right against arsenal and he was like pissed like he just looked not interested so uh, i think i think all his selection was good um and and yeah, they were just ruthless, like completely ruthless up four nil at the, at the half. It was insane. Like I mm-hmm. felt bad watching the highlights, honestly. <laughs> That's how <laughs> it, it literally, I cringed like yeah. throughout where it was just like, uh, like it just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the question is then for United, like on the United side, um, they, you know, uh, have this, they romp to this win. They move up to second um, as a result. Um, three points behind City with it having played a game more. So, you know, um, yeah. we'll see where that gap actually ends up. But for United, what does a 9-0 against the Southampton team tell us about United's, like, seriousness at the top of the table? I, 
I, I'm so done trying to figure out if United are a serious club or not because they also lost to like Bishak Shahir this season. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it tells us, really. Like, again, we, you know, we spoke at the top of the show. It's so hard to draw any conclusions because things just keep happening. Right. So we can't like <laughs> sit and think about it. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, they are de facto in the title race, obviously. Right. But I don't know really what what this tells you. Um, right. And I mean, and and let's talk about Southampton. We're a little hard done by on some of the. I mean, they probably should have scored like one or two goals. I don't sure. know that that would have changed the complexion of the game in terms of you know the points share. You know, if they would have shared points or anything. But I mean, Che Adams offside was laughable. Bidnarik's red card was laughable. Yeah. I mean, actually, it gets rescinded. Um, but right. David Luiz's appeal was not successful, and I actually thought <laughs> Bettinarix looked more like a foul than, than David Luiz's did. So I, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, and then I think Shea Adams actually missed a very presentable chance after yeah. that offside. So yeah, it's not their night. But I mean, I am curious if there are any psychologists, sports scientists that follow us. Like, is there a psychology to the same team losing nine nil in you know like a couple months time because that's uh that is very strange it it seems crazy the the one thing that i will caution united fans about is liverpool obviously had a very heavy uh win over crystal palace seven nil um in London and followed that up with a one, one draw against West Brom. So United Mm -hmm. have Everton next, um, who have also been in not great form, uh, but United uh, (laughs) could, could they have like used up their goals against Southampton? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? Um, we could be talking <laughs> next week about how disappointing they've been over the last two games. That's just like the nature of what's of what's going on right now. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. The goals for those interested: Juan Basaka, Rashford, Abednarik on goal, Cavani, Martial with two, McTominay. Bruno Fernandez with a penalty because obviously and Daniel James uh, with the ninth. So um, yeah, quite the list. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I I don't know. They just gotta, (laughs) I don't know. I would be fucking beside myself if Arsenal conceded nine goals. That's yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Sorry. It really is. And to experience two in such quick succession seems just like insane. Yeah. But we were down to nine men and did not like <laughs> we right. conceded a worldie after that. Like, right. so I don't know uh, you there. I suppose there is an argument that maybe the team should have been more uh, clever. But again, there's players out there that are not first team players. So, yeah. Well, moving on to the game today, uh, the marquee match, um, Tottenham nil, Chelsea won at, um, at Spurs. And I'll start with a question from Jessica Black on Twitter. Was Chelsea actually good or were Tottenham just bad? 
I think Chelsea were fine and Tottenham were terrible. And I know that sounds partisan. I know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Thomas Tuchel goes again with this kind of 4-3, uh, 3-4-3. Um, Alonso and, and Aspilicueta, Alonso keeps his place at wing back, which, you know, no need for him to be dropped having scored. But for me, if you can't create against a Jorginho Kovacic double pivot with two old Spanish guys bombing on that I don't know what to tell you because Jorginho cannot run um, and Kovacic wants to get in on the attack. I mean, they basically had like six, seven attackers at times. Chelsea did. Um, And yeah, I thought I thought Spurs football is just like abhorrent. I don't like watching it. Um, I feel for the fans in a way like, it's funny as an Arsenal fan, but objectively, it's like, this yeah. is terrible. Um, a, a side with human son in it should not be playing this way. Let's put it that way. I mean, obviously, he he counterattacks with the best of them and, and will put in a defensive shift. But mm-hmm. I hate having to watch players like that not be used to their full potential, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Jose Mourinho is just putting out. Shocky performance after shocking performance with his first side lately. So, yeah, I think it's more about Tottenham being terrible. This is, like, really significant for me because I... So, a stat that that popped up somewhere, but um, Jose Mourinho was managing his 327th home league match across his whole career. Mm -hmm. It was the first time that he had suffered back-to-back league defeats at home ever. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. (laughs) That is, one, a crazy stat. Two, we had talked about Spurs, or not, well, we hadn't talked about Spurs this way, but Spurs had been talked about more broadly as contenders just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, really up until their loss to Liverpool, they were in the title. They, you know, discussed in the title race. And now with these back-to-back home league defeats and Jose Mourinho, they've now lost three in a row. Um, they look completely like devoid of any sort of like energy plan. Mm-hmm. It just all looks very like it's coming apart at the seams for Mourinho. Are we seeing like third season Mourinho syndrome where this project is going to come completely undone? And by the end of the season, he's on the outs with, with Tottenham's hierarchy. Interesting one. Um, perhaps, yeah, perhaps it's come. Perhaps the third season syndrome is coming a lot sooner. Um, I think to be fair to Mourinho, or maybe unfair, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think he structured his side too heavily around Harry Kane, and you're seeing that now. Now that he's injured, there isn't that out ball right in the middle of the park. Um, in Dombele, while he's been better. Uh, I don't, I don't remember him doing anything. <laughs> Maybe he did. And I just, I don't know. He, he, he goes missing. Um, 
But Harry Kane was the playmaker in this side. <laughs> and without him there, there's no one springing him and so on. And actually, I think that's also the difference, right, is late stage Pochettino found a way when Harry Kane would get injured. Because we know this. We know Harry Kane's going to see some time on, on the medical table. But he still had Heung-Min's son scoring goals to the point where people were asking his son actually better without Kane. I remember this yeah. uh, distinctly, these conversations coming out, because Putch would make it work. So, you know, Kane's not there, and they, their, their, their uh, results have nosedived, and I don't think it's a coincidence because he was that that primary that pivot really i mean the one playing yeah. playing the the fast wingers on it to score and then then they sit back and 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 hold on to the lead so they're not doing that right now um and and yeah i think that's maybe that was a blind spot for Mourinho. i mean you should i don't know he's been in this league a long time he should know that what kind of player harry kane is and that he's gonna he's gonna suffer injuries here and there so yeah. i think that's a, a big thing yeah, the introduction of of Vinicius is has been very kind of hit or miss uh, for Tottenham, and and indeed as a replacement for Harry Kane, it's looking like uh, not exactly his his best role in the team. And I think uh, Bergvine and is also after a, a a quick start to life at Spurs a lot of these attacking players have kind of flattened out in terms of their production um, to where Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son are looked to as, Hey, like they're the ones who are going to score for us right now. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. I mean, Son pretty one dimensional. Have, yeah. Son did have some moments of quality. I mean, he put in one, one uh, set piece for, I think it was Serge Aurier who just guided over the bar. And I mean, <laughs> and Eric Lamella came in and was having some shots, but I mean, there was a lot of just speculative stuff. And that's the thing too, with Spurs, they didn't really start playing in Chelsea's half until about the 75th minute. So, I mean, you're not going to win a lot of games turning it on at that point. Um, so yeah, I think, I think they were just poor. On the other, on the other hand, Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea uh, off to a good start in their in their uh, newfound relationship together, and Tuchel actually becomes the first Chelsea manager to keep clean sheets in each of his first three matches as Chelsea manager since Jose Mourinho. Oh my goodness! And this was the first time they ever played each other. Believe it or not. And he, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. They've never (laughs) played each other. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, that's amazing. They've not conceded since, since Tuchel came in and he has changed their back line, like pretty much completely. So that is really impressive. Um, maybe I should be giving Chelsea a little bit more credit, but I, right now the vibe for me is, is, is Cho out on that right side. Yeah. Hudson Adoy, I think. Just chef's kiss. What a player. Yeah. Um, and I like that that Tuchel immediately identified that and said he needs to be inside. Yeah. And and I think for, for Hudson Adoy too, it's it's really interesting that we've seen him employed now under Tuchel in both that kind of right wing back area and now in this match, like further advanced in front of Reese James. Um 
which was an interesting, yeah. an interesting employment. And I think one that Chelsea fans will certainly look to as uh, like something that they would like to see going forward. Um, and they're the, the defenders are actually trying to hit Timo Werner with that first ball out. Like, right. Uh, they, he almost scored in like the 20th second they, they put him through. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think they're cooking something up in, the, uh, in Chelsea for sure. The signs are there. The, the goal itself, a penalty from Jorginho and, and drawn from a, a clumsy foul, Um, it has to be said by Eric Dyer on, on Timo Werner. Um, but Chelsea throughout were, you know, despite the fact that the goal from comes from a penalty, uh, they were always the more likely team throughout this one. And it's in the end, a deserved win for, for Tuchel's blues. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this, I mean, Chelsea Spurs has been spiky in the past. I think obviously something's lost there without having the, the fans there, but yeah, it's definitely a good result for them. To, to round up, um, the, the premier league and this midweek action, um, some of the other results around, uh, Sheffield United get a big two, one win over West Brom. Um, only their third win of the season. Uh, but it brings them to within three points of Fulham uh, in in 18th. Still 11 points from Burnley, though, in, in safety. Oh, my God. I think... I don't know. Do you think... I, I think Sheffield United are still a finish, but, I mean, things keep happening to where, I don't know, they might do an Aston Villa and survive. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think Fulham... I don't know. Fulham probably, they seem like they're more likely. I they, don't know. It's, they talk about a great escape. This would be the greatest escape if Sheffield United find a way to, to survive. Yeah, that'd be insane. I mean, it seems like Chris Wilder is adjusting. It might be too late. It's February now, but it seems like he's finally got a hold on what needs to be done. As far as staying for staying in these games, for example, against City, they only conceded once, right? Um, you know, and then and then beating some of the sides, all the United West Brom. So I don't know, it might be too little too late for for them, but we'll keep an eye regardless on the blades. The uh, another another game, uh, Crystal Palace gets a two one win over Newcastle. John Joe Shelby's early opener canceled out by a ridiculous strike by Jairo Riedewald. And then uh, Gary Cahill scores from a corner for, for Crystal Palace. This a weird result in the fact that Palace <laughs> win, but Newcastle actually dominated uh, this game um, mm-hmm. in almost every key performance metric except goal scored. <laughs> Oh man, I hope that doesn't tell Steve Bruce. See, this is what happens when we play out, <laughs> like when we try to go <laughs> at teams because they played really well against Everton. I, I, I guess they're trying to just build on that, and be a little bit more aggressive. But there's, there's no time. There's no time to, <laughs> to think about why, why this happened. They just got to keep going. Um, Manchester City get a, a pretty, pretty routine two nil win over Burnley at uh, Turf Moor, and Burnley with a second game in a row with registering zero shots on target. But they'll be 
comfortably like 12th or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They are 17th, but like I said, uh, I guess they're uh, eight points uh, clear of Fulham in in 18th. So they have some some cushion. uh, Dyche's band of merry men. Um, (laughs) Leicester City got a 2-0 win over Fulham. Ihi and Nacho with a with a rare goal, and James Justin actually scored um, for Leicester as uh, they registered a win over over struggling Fulham, who are now um, winless since. Uh, oh man, it's been a long time since their win over Leicester actually on November thirtieth. Damn. And they've had a couple red cards too. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Scott Parker's influence. I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Everton beat Leeds United. Uh, Leeds had that really impressive uh, performance at the weekend, unable to unable to keep the pace. And Everton, in fact, uh, with their with their first win in three, um, they had been struggling a little bit, but back to winning ways for, for Carlo Ancelotti and company. Yeah. This was similar to Newcastle crystal palace and that Leeds dominated the ball. Uh, but as we know, Leeds they'll score a lot, but they'll concede a lot too. And, um, there's just a lot of quality finishes for, for Everton. There was a ball in from Luca Dina That was insane. <laughs> I think for Calvert Lewin for his opener, that was yeah. a really nice goal. So yeah, nice, nice way to bounce back from, you know, the defeat at, at Goodison against Newcastle. Speaking of bouncing back, West Ham bounced back from their defeat to Liverpool with a three, one win of their own, uh, over Aston Villa and a pretty impressive performance from Moy's side. Uh, Thomas Suchek scores again, um, in the 51st minute. And then for United fans, uh, Manchester United fans, I guess, out there. Uh, Jesse Lingard with a debut brace for the Hammers. <laughs> Good for him. I, I I know that he gets memed a lot. I, I guess I don't know why. Maybe because he just wasn't United starting quality. But I think he's an absolutely fine player. Um, I think in this one he played as the 10, which I think probably is his best uh, the 10 or like the shadow striker, if you will, however you want to interpret that, um, just behind, you know, the target man. Um, and, and he gets to run behind kind of that, that striker and, and he scores two goals. So good for him. Thomas Suchek, too, really impressive player. And one that I think Moyes deserves a lot of credit for because apparently he personally scouted him and was like insistent. Like, I want this guy at West Ham. I'll buy him. I need him. He's wow. crucial to my plans. So he's repaying the manager's faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. West Ham, uh, have earned 38 points from their 22 premier league games this season. Their highest tally at this stage of a top flight campaign since 1985. So I fucking said they might not win anything for yeah. <laughs> like two months. I'm in the mud. <laughs> god damn we'll have to we'll have to like go back to our first episode and just like 
roast ourselves at the end yeah. of the season. <laughs> Just, I said some clown shit. <laughs> this season was <laughs> absurd to predict from the beginning. Um, so that leaves the table. Manchester, Manchester City is top uh, on 47 points um, with a game less played than those teams around them. United in second. Uh, Leicester City in third, Liverpool fourth, West Ham fifth, Chelsea sixth, Everton in seventh, level with Chelsea on points, um, Tottenham and Aston Villa uh, in eighth and ninth, and Arsenal up to tenth now. Um, So uh, down at the bottom, as we said, uh, Brighton, with that win over Liverpool, climb up to 15th, just two points behind Wolves in, in 14th. Uh, Newcastle just below them. Burnley level with Newcastle on points. Uh, that's 16th and 17th. And then the drop zone remains unchanged and seemingly forever unchanged. Fulham, <laughs> West Brom, and Sheffield United looking destined for the drop. Um the question about the relegation teams and, and West Brom losing this weekend, does big Sam quit before he can be relegated uh, with his record being that he has never been relegated? I've been actually like off and on thinking about this. Um, I would not put, put it past sizable Samuel. Honestly, (laughs) he seems like he's that like, (laughs) interested in himself that he would do something like that um listen there's a lot of challenges at West Brom the way that the team is like the players that they have don't actually like make sense with Sam Allardyce's football I mean they actually have quite a few like flair players and not very good defenders so that was always gonna be even for Big Sam uh but I don't know. Does he quit? I'm sure someone's going to lump on it as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't text Kieran Trippier if you are. Uh, um, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, um, yeah, a, a wild, a wild week of, of premier league. It only gets crazier, um, as this week in, in the premier league, um, as we said, United take on Everton, Wolves take on Leicester City, um, Sheffield United have the tall task of of Tuchel's Chelsea. Um, Leeds Crystal Palace could be an interesting one uh, next Monday. Um, Newcastle Southampton as Southampton try to rip rebound from from the embarrassment of a nine nil, um, and. Uh, Burnley Brighton. So Brighton looking to build on, on a big win. Um, the, the question is in the Liverpool city game, which is coming up. It has been the, the marquee matchup for the last couple of seasons title deciding, um, in some cases can Liverpool get one over this informed city team or, or do we see a, a city uh, finally grab a win at Anfield after, after a couple of seasons of barren results uh, on Merseyside? Oh, so it is at Anfield. Yeah. Okay. Mm, I think, I think it'll, we've been saying like all these big ass fixtures were going to be fun. So let me predict something stupid, like one, <laughs> one or something. Cause we, 
<laughs> I always want be these garbage. to be like. <laughs> I always want these to be like four four, and they never yeah. are. So I don't know. Let's go for a, a Sunday evening draw. Yeah. I think I think it has every possibility of being that the last you know few uh, results at Anfield have been ever since I think it was seventeen eighteen was a a, a four three um, that, that game the the ox goal like oh yeah there are very few goals that stick in my head but that's yeah. one of them yeah that goal is stupid. Maybe that, he's a professional uh, player, but oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that game was just so crazy, and the energy was was so amazing. Um, in a season where Liverpool enjoyed getting one over City, despite the fact that City won the the league, um, because they beat them at home in in the league, and then beat them in the Champions League as well. Um, but anyways, uh, I, yeah, I can't anticipate that the game is going to be at that level just because Liverpool have been prone to these flat offensive, uh, displays. I think, um, the way that city's been playing as well, um, does not lend itself to, to Liverpool coming out and kind of blitzing them for goals. The only thing that I think may work in Liverpool's favor is if is if City get on the ball then maybe Klopp invokes some like old school Klopp like counterattack um and and we see a little bit of that that kind of uh you know the the heavy metal football i guess uh more so so it could get crazy but it's only if pep is it's only if pep is is out there to to try to get into a boxing match you know i missed like the liverpool that played like sevilla in the uh europe league like that match was that was nuts like that run was nuts (laughs) yeah yeah where it was just chaos where, where Klopp was playing that way but with like lesser players like Alberto right and the, yeah right that was fun that was chaotic yeah yeah it'll be <laughs> maybe not for you you I, your face is like that was not fun <laughs> <laughs> well you mentioned you mentioned the final like the final against Sevilla just like makes me sick to my stomach so um because I Alberto Moreno just went full like like Sevilla activated his programming and, and turned him into, uh, you know, their agent on the field. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He heard Monchi like, you know, they had, uh, they had, uh, ever Benega whisper Monchi into his ear and he turned into fricking. Yeah. Agent Moreno. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Oh man. Well, um, I hope, I hope, uh, yeah, I I'm hoping for a good game, but I I'm not hopeful. Like you said, I I'm not hopeful of in Rona times. It seems like every game is either a complete dud or, a just completely chaotic, like Would you take a blowout. Um, right now, honestly, no, only because <laughs> only because at this point it's less about it's even less about the title race and it's more about 
we have to win our games at home to ensure that we get top four. <laughs> Understood. Like yeah. that's kind of that's kind of where because we're at. West Ham. Yeah. It's up your ass. <laughs> yeah. Moyes <laughs> is putting the pressure on. <laughs> this is the fucking worst timeline. <laughs> oh my god. But that's yeah. We're kind of at that point where we need home wins just to just to make sure we're not like bricking it at the end of the season to try to make the Champions League. Come on down to Europa. The water's warm. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go back. I'm used to a certain standard of living. Like that's- oh my, <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Well, um, the last thing that I wanted to shout out was I know we don't. I know we're not doing um, like we're not doing our our additions to our sounds of the season playlist, which you guys can find on Spotify. Um. But I was listening again because I'm just obsessed with this record. And I know I already have a song. Mm. I already have a song from this, uh, from the CD, like on the playlist, but I just wanted to call it out because I was listening to it today and it's kingdom of giants is the band passenger is the album. I cannot recommend it enough. It's so good. Um, but (laughs) the their song night shift uh <laughs> has this like pre-chorus kind of like moment uh where and it it's repeated throughout the song but the <laughs> they just say what is it like to feel what is it like to feel anything and that's the vibe I have when all of these matches have just made me so numb to any of the like emotion around, around the game. Um, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just screaming that into the void. Uh, like, please someone let me feel something this weekend, uh, in this, <laughs> in this set of premier league fixtures. Yeah, for real. It's, it's so much, so much. <laughs> Fired. <laughs> I'm like I'm tired. Imagine how the players feel. Jesus. Oh my god. Everyone is probably in the red zone. Like They're the probably- sports science department is probably like, don't fucking ask me how they are. You know how they are. Yeah. <laughs> everybody. You know what I mean. <laughs> everybody sucks mentally. They're just they are over it. They hate this shit. Like, <laughs> like I had, I had. Uh, I'm trying to think of just like middle of the road sort of player. Um, it's just like James Ward Prowse. Yeah, <laughs> I had I asked James Ward Prowse how he was doing, and he said, "I fucking hate this shit." <laughs> <laughs> like, what? No, I, 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 uh, I do think, yeah, it's gotten crazy, but like the games themselves have still been enjoyable. I, I think maybe the recommendation that we can make is to watch as many games like if you're going to if you're going to watch watch as many games that you're not emotionally invested in as possible and watch other leagues like watch, i'm not even trying to be a hipster but branch like, out yeah la liga's right like la liga is lit in like the best way yeah uh don't turn your nose up at other leagues that's all i'll say every league obviously yeah is is our bread and butter but yeah 
That that is such a like and it's kept me engaged because I think the emotional investment can wear you out. But yeah. if you're watching if you're watching a game as a true neutral, it's so much easier to just enjoy it. Like to just yeah. take it all in. Um right. so yeah, I would a hundred percent recommend that because it's just it's a nice release from the like pressures of your team performing like it's just yeah yeah it's a a nice little break but well hopefully everyone has enjoyed uh this little this little extra bonus episode it's not a bonus because it's just as long as any of our other episodes it's a full episode but it's (laughs) like uh you know the whatever we we got back on the mic uh quicker to try to give this uh, this week, some sense. So hopefully you guys enjoyed, um, like we said, you can find us on, on any podcast platform. Um, and if you could rate and review on that platform, that would be awesome. If not drop us a follow and just make sure you get the notifications for each new episode. Um, and then follow us on Twitter at HXC football, and you can, uh, follow along with all the, all the action, um, throughout the season. And, you know, get those lighthearted kind of takes too that will help extend your, your interest <laughs> and not, not feel so numb uh, to what's going on around you. So anyways, um, until next time, guys, hopefully you're uh, staying safe, staying well. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with more next week. <laughs>